In The Last Jedi, we meet a version of Luke Skywalker who is struggling. He's not the confident Luke we remember from Return of the Jedi, and a lot of people had problems with that. Well, now with the new Kenobi series, we see another older Jedi who is kind of unsure about being a Jedi. That Jedi is the title character, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Today's show is all about the new Disney Plus TV series, Obi-Wan Kenobi. This will be a spoiler-filled show for episode one, and maybe some spoilers for episode two as well. If you haven't seen the first two episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi, you might want to listen after you have seen those two shows. Welcome to the Story Geek Show. I'm Jay Shear, co-writer of Death of a Bounty Hunter and Time Slingers. The full cast audiobook version of Death of the Bounty Hunter is now available via our website on Audible, on audiobooks.com, on Downpour, on Apple Books, and basically everywhere audiobooks are sold. So support the show by purchasing a copy. Links are in the description. Joining me on today's show, a frequent guest of the Story Geek Show and one of the voice performers in our full cast audiobook, Megan Salinas. Hey, how's it going, Jay? Oh, it's going so good. Now, now I don't. So the, this podcast took a little bit of a hiatus near, near the end of the end of the pandemic there, and so I think the last time you and I talked was when we were working on the audiobook together in uh, Fullerton, probably. Actually, yes. I but that's the last time we saw each other in person. Okay. The last time I was on the Story Geeks was uh, to talk about the Crow. Actually, oh, yeah, that's right before. That, right before that was like the last show we did. You were on our final show before the hiatus. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was because um, I, I think you wanted something kind of for spoopy season, and you're right. like, who do I know that likes spoopy <laughs> stuff? I can think of a couple people, but definitely my name is one that pops up in your head when you think scary stuff. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you you and Sandra were like our go-to people to talk about all the <laughs> spoopy stuff that could for, could occur. For everything horror related. And Jay, I'm still waiting for the day you'll just sit down and have a horror movie marathon with me. One of these days. <laughs> one of these days. One of these days we'll get to it. I have been I have been watching and I'm, I will be podcasting about Stranger Things, and that has a lot of horror vibes this season. So you know, it's one of those. <sighs> I, I lose so I, I I just proclaim myself as a big horror person, and I'm just gonna lose so much cred by saying I haven't seen Stranger Things yet. It's just one of those things that <laughs> even it's the been in even my season one for a million years, and I haven't touched it. Oh wow, Stranger Things is is fantastic. I really really enjoy Stranger. I highly recommend it. Um, but I did see. I did, have you seen The Northman yet? No, but um, it's basically like hamlet with vikings right basically well so basically the reason i bring up the northman is because uh robert eggers is a really big like horror kind of tragic shakespearean type drama kind of guy he directed the vivich yeah exactly exactly was it now did you like that movie um i have mixed feelings on it it's one Mm. of those um there's a lot of A24 horror movies um, yeah. where I like respect them more than I enjoy them. But um, <laughs> it, it's one of those things where they are excellently made films. Yes. Um, and uh, even even if I'm just like, okay, that's, that's not 100% my cup of tea, that it was excellently <laughs> made and I will watch it again for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think you could basically say that 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 whole tagline could be the Robert Eggers tag tagline. <laughs> like, like it's like I can't say that I loved this because I, I really enjoyed I the Northman, <laughs> but I respect the hell out of it because it is amazing. Um, yeah. So, anyways, and, and in another show that we will have at one point in time, Megan Salinas, 
is that you and I will have a show either about Spider-Man or about Sam Raimi and about whether or not, because you and I are on opposite ends of the Sam Raimi spectrum. I want I don't... everyone listening to this podcast to know Jay doesn't like Spider-Man too. Which means you can basically disregard everything else he's ever That's said about right. any movie. His That's opinion right. is invalid. That's right. No. Well, um, and I actually no. really like Spider-Man. I like that. I actually like Spider-Man too, but you were saying it's like one of the best spider-man like, i don't know if i can say that yes it but. is <laughs> but now it, it occurred to me um after like you initially told me that and i was like oh my gosh jay is a crazy person how did it take me this long to realize um but then yeah. i was reminded that you're not the biggest horror fan right and i was just like i get it there are people out there who don't like spider-man too and <laughs> Those people tend to be people who are unfamiliar with Raimi's style of filmmaking. Exactly. I'm like, oh, if you don't like Raimi's style of filmmaking, you're probably not going to like the movie. <laughs> you know what's funny is I actually bet that I would really appreciate Raimi for his, uh, is it uh, Evil Dead, Army of Darkness? That, that's... Uh, yes, the Evil Dead trilogy. Uh, yeah. He also did Dark Man, uh, Drag Me to Hell. He's done a few other things here and there. Yeah, so some of those things, I bet you I would like him more so as like that kind of director than I would him as a uh, as a comic book director. I bet you. I bet you that's true, but I don't know. I'll have to. One day we will podcast about those things. Yes. But yes, today yes. we'll just podcast about. I had to give Megan a hard time about that because we're always going back and forth about Spider Man and Sam Raimi. Oh, we argue about it constantly, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but always in a conceptual way. We never actually get into That's the nitty gritty of um, why Jay's wrong. But the... <laughs> I kid, I kid. But no, I, I'm actually very happy that you you called me to talk about um, the first episode of Obi Wan because actually the first episode of the Story Geeks that I was on, we were talking about the Empire Strikes Back. Yes, yes, it goes all the way back. Um, and and that was mainly happening because you remember Michael Young from Nerd Soul. He was on the oh, show last week. Awesome, awesome person. Um, and he and I talked about getting ready for Obi-Wan Kenobi. And so it was, it, and I was just remembering back to all the times we got a chance to podcast together in the same room. He and I were talking about that. Like we used to be able to be in the same room. That was really fun. We, you know, that was a pandemic. <laughs> you know, not always in the same room, but that's all right. So let's dive into uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi here. Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi, the series, takes place 10 years after Revenge of the Sith. Obi-Wan hasn't been practicing as a Jedi. He's just been working in some sort of outdoor meat processing plant, which <laughs> I, don't, I don't necessarily recommend purchasing your bantha meat from, from Obi-Wan's meat processing facility. Don't do that, maybe. Um, hey, also, it's not his meat processing facility. He just works there, man. He just he just works there and then takes a little piece of meat home every night. It's it's very odd. It's a very odd setup there. Uh, we also have Inquisitors, who are basically, if you haven't seen them in Rebels, they're Star basically... Wars Rebels. Star Wars Rebels. <laughs> are you a Rebels fan? Oh, big time. Okay, Love that's good Rebels. because I have only seen parts of it. Not that I'm not a fan. I just. I can't consume all of this material. Oh um, no, I, I'm definitely behind on some of the other animated um, animated shows. I haven't watched yeah. The Bad Batch yet, um, but it, it's one of those things where it's like there's there's so much. It's hard. So much. <laughs> it's hard to keep up with everything. I just mentioned that I had never seen Stranger Things. Oh. Uh, it's hard to keep up. But Rebels is one of those ones um, that actually helped get me back into Star Wars, um, ah. you know, because it was the first 
it was the first Star Wars property to come out, I think, mm-hmm. um, where the the Disney Lucas Films kind of merger was official. I think it came out oh. before Force Awakens. I would have to double check my um would have to double check my years on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's definitely one of the first for sure. Yeah. And so it's, uh, and and that cast of characters is just so lovable and so great. Um, and they did a lot of really cool stuff uh, with that show. So uh, I'm happy. I'm very happy to see the Inquisitors, which is a terrible thing to say because they <laughs> they, they do terrible things. But I'm just like, oh yeah, Inquisitors! Look at those little helicopter lightsabers! Look at them go! <laughs> yeah, exactly. And those and the Inquisitors, based on what I've read about them. I, I saw them in a few episodes of Rebels, but I just not super familiar. So they are soldiers who work directly under Vader and are basically Jedi. They're Jedi, or I shouldn't say Jedi, but they're Sith powered. They have they are able to use the Force. Yeah, they they are Force users. A lot of them are former Jedi. Uh, but what they are essentially tasks tasked to do is, you know, after Order sixty six, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're most of the Jedi are gone. But there are still plenty of Jedi and other Force users who are scattered throughout the galaxy. And so what the Inquisitors are hired to do is essentially either track them down and recruit them to the dark side or execute them. Like, it's, wow, yeah, that's that's the long and short of it. It's like you either work for us or <laughs> you don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't you cease to live at that point. So yeah. in this in this series now, we've seen the Grand Inquisitor. We've seen the fifth brother, both of which were in Rebels, I believe, right? Uh, the I believe the fifth brother is um, in Rebels. Uh, it's the seventh sister that we see. Right, right. So not the. This is the third sister who's is Reva. It? So we have mm-hmm. seen, we have seen the Grand Inquisitor and the fifth brother before, but not the third sister who's yeah. also known as Although Reva. It's it's interesting, uh, uh-huh. especially with where we leave things. Um, because the uh, the fifth brother and the Grand Inquisitor, um, they are in Rebels, but Rebels takes place after this series. Oh, interesting! I, uh, interesting. Yeah, this is this is a little bit before Rebels gets going. I Got it. Yeah, I, I had a feeling this is this is a little bit more for episode two, which we're not going to go into depth on. But I had a feeling that things were not finished with some of the characters in no. episode two <laughs> no that's why the ending of episode two surprised me i was just like oh yeah. um, hmm. <laughs> that's funny are we retconning some stuff or yeah what's going on here yeah uh we also got to meet a young princess leia on alderaan which i didn't expect to see but she shows up she's as headstrong as ever and gets kidnapped by a group of mercenaries so here's my uh my first question for you megan this show is a pretty big deal at this point because Ewan McGregor is back at, as Obi-Wan. Jimmy Smith is back as Bail Organa. Um, and we don't see him in episode one, but Hayden Christensen is back as Darth Vader. So given these huge players coming back into the Star Wars universe, given the fact that this is a you know a pretty big series for Disney Plus in general, what were some of your favorite moments from episode one? Um, like you, you were just alluding to, just kind of seeing these cast members again was yeah. really cool. Like, I don't have a lot of love for the prequels. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of people have been reevaluating them in recent years. And I let's be honest, 
a lot of that comes from nostalgia because a lot of <laughs> a lot of people who are like, oh, the prequels are great. They were kids when the prequels came out. <laughs> yes, yes. So it's one of those things where I still don't think the prequels are great movies, but I do appreciate a lot of the reevaluation in recent years. One, for how great the casting is, because they were great casting. Even if the performances at the time um, are not everyone's best work, it's because yeah. they weren't working with a lot of great dialogue material. They just weren't. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. um, but every time you get to see them acting, they do great jobs. Like um, they're all wonderful at emoting. They are all excellent <laughs> actors. And it's just such a shame um, that they didn't have better dialogue to work with. But um, well, not only better dialogue, but also to your point, I this is going to be controversial. The mind of George Lucas is amazing. It he the things that he has come up with are some of my favorite things that have ever existed in the storytelling you know realm. But let's face it, he's not he's not a top tier director. You know he's so so even if even if the dialogue is clunky, like what he's telling them to do and how he's instructing them to behave. Mm -hmm. It's it's not it's not fair to judge any actor who was in a George Lucas directed thing. You can even see the difference between a Star Wars property that was directed by George versus a Star Wars property that was directed by somebody else and the differences are striking. Like he mm -hmm. the he I don't think that he's able to communicate what is necessarily even on the page very well. And quite frankly, he I think he probably got lucky with some of the things that are on the page when it came to the original trilogy. So yeah. I totally agree. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it it's something that gets talked about a lot, obviously, but um, yeah. you know, part of what made the original trilogy so great mm -hmm. is that it was more of a collaborative effort. There were totally. a lot more creative voices who maybe don't get as much credit as they should um for their involvement exactly. um and not to discredit george lucas like you said a highly imaginative person yeah. um deserves a lot of praise for the amazing things that he's created yeah. but a lot of the credit for what makes star wars wonderful deserves to go to a plethora of people absolutely um, and so i think that was kind of the big problem with the prequels is that it was less and not to discredit any of the hard work of like the cast and crew or anything yeah. like that, but a lot of the creative voice and vision was his and his alone. Correct. And, and so his shortcomings as a storyteller are on full display, exactly. even though the scope of the story he was trying to tell was actually really good. Like yeah. if you, if you take a step back from the prequel and you look at the beats of the downfall of a good man like they're good beats yeah they're just put together in the not in not the great the greatest way but anyway yeah. this is not uh this is not a podcast <laughs> about the prequels this is a podcast about obi-wan um so if like i i appreciate like, we were just talking about them i respect them more than yeah. i enjoy them but that being said it was so, so good to see all these actors again. Joel Edgerton, um, yep. like you said, you know, uh, Ewan McGregor. And Ewan McGregor has always killed it as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yes. Um, he did, he his performance, like taking inspiration, obviously, from Alan Guinness's performance from the yeah. original trilogy, like he embodied 
like a young, like he he looked at Alan Guinness's performance and went like, okay, what is the younger version of that man? And he nailed it yeah. for every single movie. He freaking nailed it. It was amazing. <laughs> so it was great to see him again. It was great to see all of them again. And um, not only was it great getting to see them again, it was great getting to see sort of the meeting of these two separate worlds, like mm. in my mind, you know, because I'm a big Rebels fan. So it was great seeing Inquisitors in a live action setting while also seeing Obi-Wan. Like, it, it, it's kind of like a meeting of the worlds. Like, and, and if you're a Clone Wars fan, you're like, yeah, I've already <laughs> <laughs> been there, done that already with like Ahsoka Tano and um, right. it, showing up in some of the other series and everything like that. Um, but this was uh, this was a cool thing because it was like the first I don't want to say exclusively Rebels thing to pop up in the live action stuff because it's not. But I, I always get very excited whenever I see anything from Rebels pop up in the live action stuff. So absolutely. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, I there's and there's so many good moments here, too. I'll throw out some of mine. Um, first of all, the opening sequence in the Jedi Temple in Coruscant was I think probably some of the best stunts there, there's in the, in the, in the opening sequence of that, of that, of that sequence and the opening moments of that sequence, I should say uh, the female Jedi who has been training the younglings literally jumps, does a twist and like bats one of the blaster bolts back at the stormtroopers. And I was like, that is sick. I will watch that all day long. That's amazing. <laughs> Just like, I need a gif of that on repeat. Yeah, exactly. It was so cool. So it was really, really well done. Um, I really liked Obi-Wan trying to communicate with Qui-Gon because I feel like that basically is a promise. If they don't do this, they're going to disappoint me, but it's a kind of a promise. Like you're going to get to see Qui-Gon force ghost in this series. Um, and if they don't do that, I'm gonna I'm gonna be really pissed off because <laughs> I'm like really waiting for it now. Um, let's see what else I got here. Oh, I also really enjoyed. Uh, you know, there's a scene in A New Hope, which is one of the first times that we ever see Luke. We're starting to get, we're starting to know who Luke is, and it's when um, he's working on the two droids, uh, C-3PO's in the. Uh, tank, the whatever it is, the the liquid tank that he's in, and Luke is kind of playing with a a shuttle. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the shuttle that Obi Wan gives to uh, gives him. It le leaves there at the at the uh, at the uh, the moisture farm, um, and it was cool to see that. It was cool to see like kind of a little bit of a throwback. My my original trilogy heart was satiated by that. Um, and you you mentioned Joel Egerton. He is amazing as Uncle Owen, and his, the interactions he has with Obi Wan, fantastic. Yeah. Oh he, man, he's such I, a I good actor. Yeah, and he and he kind of embodies that like that very, um, very gruff sort of like the persona of Uncle Owen from the original trilogy. Because even though you might look at him and be like, he doesn't look like that guy necessarily. He has they do a little bit of like making him look like him. But when he talks and when he like does his he when he acts, you're like, that's like the same guy. You know, it's like that's crazy. So good for him for doing a really great job there. Um now this is this is um this is something that you could have predicted toxic Star Wars fans to say. 
Um, and I think that this is, I think that this <laughs> is really, on. yeah, well, I think that this is really, really, it's a, it's wrong. It's, it's a misinterpretation. And that is that I really liked, unlike some of these toxic people, I really liked the actress who plays Leia. Um, I the think, little girl? She's yes, amazing. She's amazing. She does such a good job capturing Leia's persona. Uh, her character feels really well written to me. It does feel like this is the the kid who grows up to be Princess Leia as an Oh adult. yeah, no. I look at that kid and I see the way um she's performing yeah. and I can absolutely see that person growing up to be like, "Hey, get this walking carpet <laughs> out of my face." Exactly. I'm like, "Yeah, that's Leia." That's exactly. Leia. This kid exactly. nailed it. And I do, I do think I know why some people, I mean, let's just face it. There's some people that are toxic who literally will be like any female character or any person of color who's a character in a Star Wars film. I hate it, right? There's exactly. going to be those, those people do exist. Um, screw those people. But the- They exist and they're very loud and very annoying. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but I will say that I do think that there is one valid complaint that we'll get to later about- but it's not the it's not the actress. It has nothing to do with the actress whatsoever. She does a fantastic job. And her scene, her scene with Bail Organa, where they're kind of like, I guess it's like a they're on a patio of some sort, and he's talking to her about how she should behave. And um, I thought that was really amazing because she she has a, a fairly um mature personality for her for her age and by the way that actress if if my understanding is correct is even younger than leia is supposed to be in this because i think she says she's 10 i think mm -hmm. the actress is only seven so wow. give me a break she's doing amazing right like so and she's in she's she's acting with jimmy smiths and like he kills it of course and so as they're interacting with each other she's a very mature uh more adult than a normal 10 year old or certainly a seven-year-old would be acting and yet he's still interacting with her as a child and it makes sense in context mm -hmm. i thought that was really really cool um, i really liked their scene too and really just any all of the scenes on alderaan like yes. um getting yes. to see a little bit more of leia's home planet yeah. ultimately knowing what happens to it and <laughs> yeah. um and everyone she cares about like it's it's rough like seeing seeing her family and like getting into family spats and everything like that and thinking just like oh in several short years all of this <laughs> is going to be space dust oh goodness. yeah yeah you don't but by the way leah you don't need to worry about your cousin <laughs> just don't worry about him it's, it'll be fine <laughs> he's, a, he's a petty jerk it's, yeah. <laughs> don't don't worry about it it's fine <laughs> exactly uh, and the, la the last thing I was going to bring up, too, is uh, I was a little bit surprised that they put this on Disney Plus, although it's not super graphic or anything. But the scene where the Inquisitors have have placed the the um, the captured Jedi and he's hanging in the town square. Uh, I thought that was pretty, pretty good. Not 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 as horrifying as I think they could have made it. Uh, they definitely they definitely toned it down. So that yes, his watching would be OK with it. Um but what I liked about it was that the Inquisitors, it showed that the Inquisitors were serious and it showed that they were intentionally trying to let people know, like, this is the way, this might be the outer rim, but this is the way of the Empire and we're yeah. part of the Empire and this is what we do, right? The uh, It reminded me actually a lot of the scene in the original trilogy when Luke finds his aunt and uncle dead. 
um, yeah. where you know his home is on fire and he sees their dead bodies, but they're just skeletons. So, which right. is a horrifying, <laughs> but it's like that's it's also kind of slightly comical in a way yes. um, or, or not yes. comical. That's not the right way to, to phrase it, but um, it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of comical because it's, it's like, comical. cause you look at it, you go, that's horrific, <laughs> but you kind of got here. Like, I don't know how to handle it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, you're like, it's also possible they went down to party city. So like this kind of reminded me of that, although I didn't, obviously it's not funny. Um, but you look at it and you're like, it's horrible, but this isn't as horrible as they could have portrayed it on Correct. screen Correct. where it's like, okay, yeah, they are, they are definitely toning down yeah. a clearly very violent thing so that kids can still watch yes. this. Yes. Yeah. And you're actually, you're where you're kind of going with that is one of my things I didn't love about the show that we'll get into. So I'll save that, but the, but you're actually hinting at something that I thought was like, a little bit um, interesting. You want more blood and guts in your Star Wars? <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what it is. Um, but the final thing I was going to say too, and this is not necessarily something I loved or didn't like, but I just wanted to point out that the the Obi Wan logo with the sand effect is basically mm -hmm. shots fired at Anakin Skywalker. By the way, <laughs> for a guy who hates sand, you don't like sand. Whoa. Yeah, exactly. This is what Obi Wan's going to be all about now: is sand. Take that, take that, Anakin. Um, <laughs> But yeah, let's get into. Uh, was there anything about this show, about this first this this first episode that you you didn't love? Something that you were like, ah, eh, that's not something that I I, I loved a lot. But what did uh, you think? I mean, the first episode is a little slow. It's it mm. is a full it is a full hour long, um, and there wasn't anything I outright disliked. Um, like like you were just saying, uh, loved seeing baby leia loved uh getting to meet those characters um and loved seeing the inquisitors um i think probably not it, it's not that i disliked it but something that's hard to watch was um seeing obi-wan get confronted with another jedi and he chooses not to help him oh, he sends yeah. him away yeah um it's it's not that I disliked it, but it's hard to watch because yeah. it's just like, uh, and I think that's that's one of the reasons why a lot of people kind of yell and scream about like Luke in the Last Jedi. They're like, right. oh, that's not my Luke. Da 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 da. Where it's like, no, it you're not supposed to be happy that <laughs> like you you understand that right? You're not supposed to be happy that this character that you love who is a hero has given up essentially mm -hmm. it's supposed to be hard to watch you're supposed to be feeling things um and you're supposed to be uh kind of bummed about it yeah um, that's why it's all the more important when they rally and get back into the fight um but i think a lot of people mistake that like feeling of emotion <laughs> with like <laughs> oh this is bad it right. made me feel bad and therefore it is bad. And it's just like, guys, <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not how that works. Yeah. Um, so it's not that I disliked it, but it was hard to watch him. Um, it was hard to watch him turn, like turn that young Jedi away. And yes. then the immediate consequences of that are this, <laughs> this poor young Jedi's death. Right. Yeah. That was, that was, that was challenging. It's, it's hard to see the, what do they call themselves? The arbiters of, 
peace and justice or justice and peace or something like that um in the galaxy basically not caring about justice and peace right like or not or only caring about their version of it and which especially I, because that that there was like this weird pov handheld camera shot that made it seem like somebody was watching them yes uh, yes and it's just like that that didn't necessarily have any payoff either um right. so like that those are kind of nitpicky things but i apologize yeah. i interrupted what were you no, no 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 i wanted to hear all the things you said no that's totally true and i we we'll have some more we're going to talk about some of those moments in a little bit more detail because i have some questions about that uh, so i'm glad you're leading into that um anything else that you thought uh it's not my favorite i mean just kind of some nitpicky things here or yeah. there like um you know nothing nothing that like breaks my suspension of disbelief or anything like that or takes me out of the episode but like when leia is initially running away from um the the bounty hunters i'm like she has tiny little legs guys you're adults <laughs> get it together right, right, right. <laughs> just, that's actually just kind of some moments like that where it's just like that seems silly <laughs> i was gonna say the i have the exact same thing on my on my my notes because uh, again uh anytime i talk about you know, ask a question like this, mm -hmm. the difference between somebody, a podcast that's like, hey, let's talk about Kenobi and like respond to it as fans. And the difference between the story geeks is that literally the story geeks mean that we have to say, well, what doesn't work and what does work? Because we'd like to get better when we create our own stories or work on stories or watch stories. We like to know like, oh, okay, that's why people struggle with that. Or that's why that doesn't work well here. And I have the same exact note. Like, when the those those mercenaries or bounty hunters are chasing little Leia, it's pretty clunky. I mean, I wish they had given Leia Leia more like ingenuity. Like that scene should have done one of two things. One, it should have been way shorter, and they just like mm -hmm. they get her right. Or she's it should have felt like Home Alone, where she's like, "I've got these things that you don't know about, and I'll go this way when you go that way." But what it just seems like is it's like there's a little kid running at three miles per hour, and, <laughs> and you adults are just stupid. Like you know, so I think that that I totally agree with you. That was a little bit. Um, it was a little bit. It was it a, felt, a a little like I don't know if you've ever seen the old like Ewoks live yes, action. Yes, I was like oh, this feels like it's a scene out of one of them. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. So they just all they could all they really needed to do was shorten that scene a little bit, and it would have had the same effect, and it wouldn't have felt as it wouldn't have felt as like why can't they get this little and, kid? And <laughs> I I think the uh, I think the like the the issue with that is just. This is a seven-year-old. Exactly. Um, you know, this exactly. is a seven-year-old. She can only do so much in terms of like the physicality of the role of jumping and running and totally. doing stuff like that. And totally. they're probably shooting for like eight hours a day and stuff like that. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's from a storytelling standpoint, a way that you can, when you realize that you're going to have limitations, you either build other things in, like she has some things hidden that she, you know, she knows the terrain better than somebody shot. else. Yeah, 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 exactly, <laughs> exactly. Slingshot something. Or maybe she even does like something with the force, right? Like, like just a little bit where they go, oh, that's right. She's a force user. Anyway, I'll stop complaining about that because it wasn't that big of a deal. But the other yeah, thing it, that like I said, nothing immersion breaking or anything. Just kind of like one of those things where you kind of giggle to yourself while you're watching it. And you're <laughs> exactly. like, okay. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and this next thing that I'm going to say is not uh, immersion breaking either. But as a person who did not watch a lot of Rebels, um, so I don't have the depth of history that someone like you has, I didn't immediately love the portrayal of the inquisitors and, and to your point about like 
to your point earlier about some things feeling a little cartoony, like the Jedi that's that's hanging on the bridge or whatever it is, they felt a little bit cartoony to me. So I like the fact that there was conflict within their ranks because Reva is sort of a wild card and she's like not happy with what, well, the way they do I, things. I kept making jokes to my roommate, like <laughs> the Grand Inquisitor is like, you're a loose cannon, Reva. I want your badge on my desk. <laughs> First thing yeah. in the morning, you're off the case. <laughs> exactly right. That some of that seemed pretty. Even even the even the opening scene where he walks into the saloon, he calls it a saloon, and he basically is like, "I'm going to tell you who we are. I'm going to tell you why we're here. I'm going to tell you why." We, it's like, okay, so I get it. This is just like this is like the opening crawl acted out for this for the Kenobi series. It's like we're going to tell you everything that these people do, I, just in case I, you haven't seen anything. Actually, can I can I uh, respectfully disagree? I actually <laughs> really liked this mm. because um, for anybody who's familiar with the Inquisitors, um, the uh, the the live action introduction of them like makes sense for for anybody who's not familiar. Yeah. Um, but what I love is that for anybody who is familiar, seeing the Grand Inquisitor do his thing and give his spiel, and then. <laughs> in the middle of it getting undermined and interrupted by one of his underlings <laughs> it's equal parts intriguing and hilarious because it's like he like he got interrupted during his monologue he had all he's got a system for this he, it's all about intimidation and you know um using uh, everyone's fear to get you know what you're what you're looking to get out of everybody and she just reva the third sister just having none of it because she is a loose cannon she is a wild card <laughs> just in the middle of his pontification because in the um in rebels he's actually played by um uh shoot the um jason isaacs oh uh, really he, Yes. And so um, that's what I really appreciated, even though the it's a different actor. I appreciate that he's trying to capture that, you know, um, very theatrical um, yeah. <laughs> type of performance uh, because Jason Isaacs, Jason Isaacs vocal performance in Rebels was just dripping with like so much oh like it's so good it's so fun uh definitely check out some clips on youtube if you don't have time to just sit down and watch rebels i just um, want to sit down and watch it at some point in time honestly. it's it's a good it's a good show um you got to get through some sort of kitty episodes in the first season uh, um but it is it is a solid star wars story and i highly recommend it yeah. um but like, so it's just so funny to me that this this guy, this Grand Inquisitor, he's going through his spiel. And part of his backstory is actually that one of the reasons he kind of turns to the dark side is because he constantly felt undermined and unappreciated by the uh, Jedi. Because oh, he was a former Jedi temple guard. Right, um, right. I did read that, yeah. And so to have one of his underlings just completely undermine his authority really has to get under his skin um, in like um, multiple levels. Yeah. But I also, and uh, like episode two, um, not that we need to get too far into it, but episode two um, fills in a little bit more of what Reva's deal is. Mm. And I hope that's not all there is to it because when I saw when I saw her in this episode, yeah. my thought, you know, because she out of all of them 
is absolutely convinced one that Kenobi is still alive right. and two that she is destined to bring him in it has to be her right and my thought process for this was she is so obsessed and they they even use that term that they're like yeah. you're obsessed with this yeah. she is so obsessed and so driven with it that i'm like this has to be personal there has to yes. be like maybe obi-wan killed her father or her family during the clone wars in some way shape or form maybe she blames him in some respect for her lot in life maybe she was a former youngling who um got recruited by you know at the jedi temple who had to become an inquisitor to survive right. and so she blames people like yoda and obi-wan for failing them um i'm like i have no idea what her deal is but it seems really personal and it seems like it's not just tied to overall general sith ambition yes um and then episode two makes it seem like it is just general sith ambition and i'm not that there's a problem with that but i'm kind of like i really hope that's not the case yes. because she seemed to be taking it so personally and i i really do hope that there is more of a personal connection between her and obi-wan um because general sith ambition it's not a bad motive it's just a less interesting one in my opinion oh i totally agree that that, that was kind of part of the end statement that i had there they felt to me a little cartoony but see as a person who watch them in an animated capacity, it's like, well, no, they actually feel like how they're supposed to feel because they did start out cartoony because they were they were animated. They were literally cartoon characters. <laughs> exactly, <yes. laughs> exactly. So I think that, that I think that, that hits different maybe if you haven't seen them before. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing I, I, I had was, I think that um, vitriol, I'm going to use the word vitriol to describe Riva's emotion does feel like it needs to be personal and it feels like it needs to be part of her backstory because a lot of times if you are doing something for ambition's sake there's not a sense that you have vitriol like this like pent-up hatred for someone you just have i'm chomping at the bit to get this thing done and i don't care about the people involved their emotions there but she doesn't have that she's like she has vitriol so i'm totally on the same page as you i I think there's something more there, and I think that they will reveal that over time. If they don't, I'll be a little bit disappointed, but I'd be really surprised if they don't, because just like you, I felt like this is a person who has hatred who that's pent up for a reason. Something happened to her that she is now saying, Obi-Wan is that, is that person I can blame. Um, yeah. He's the villain that I've been able to create in my mind. So I, I don't know. That's my that's my personal take. The, I mean, the what the the hints that they drop about her backstory in episode two yeah. imply that you know she came from nothing, right? And right, right. had and had to kind of claw her way up to get to where she's at in life. So again, it's not that like just having ambition um, because she's a Sith and because ultimately she wants power because she felt powerless for so much of her life like that's not a bad ambition but there was just so much anger directed towards obi-wan specifically Correct. like i said it's not a bad motivation i will just be disappointed if there's not a personal connection there totally agree and then and and the, the counter i would i would present as somebody who is ambitious 
but doesn't necessarily have a personal reason, which was, I think, done perfectly, is Moff Gideon, played by Giancarlo Esposito. Like, that is a guy who, who or a character, I should say, who feels like, I just have ambition. Yeah. Screw everybody I'm else. I don't I'm care. going up in the world. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that I think that um that's the portrayal, that's the kind of portrayal I would expect more from the third sister, Riva, if it's just about ambition. But you and I are on the same page. It's probably not, and we'll probably get more backstory and we'll realize what's going on here. Yeah. Um, and if it does just turn to out to be um a desperate climb towards the top, um, because it's it. It, it is out of sheer desperation, then I think it will make contextually, it will make a little bit more sense. Um, but yeah. we'll see, we'll see how it goes. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. It could be her vitriol could be actually more towards the inquisitor inquisitors themselves and how they operate. And mm -hmm. we might see that come out in that, but it does feel personal. And I think um, we'll just see, we'll see. I have confidence. I have confidence that they'll, they'll present it well. Um, okay. So you mentioned this earlier. But this idea of seeing Luke again, um, I feel like there's some callbacks to sort of how Ray feels as well. So let me ask you this question. When we meet Obi-Wan, he feels like to me a cross between Ray in The Force Awakens and Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi. All three characters, Ray, Luke, and now Obi-Wan, they all start out on a planet that they do not want to leave, right? Um, in, in those three instances. They're also all three of them doubting themselves in one way, shape or form. They're not confident in regards to their influence on the world and what they should be doing to influence the world. And I think that people thought that that worked pretty well with Ray because we had never seen Ray before. She's a new character, but it didn't work well for people in terms of how Luke was portrayed. Not everybody. And you and I can talk about what that looks like for why it, why it works for some people and why it doesn't work for other people. But it's interesting to me that I I've only I've heard of much smaller percentage of people with the same complaint about this version of Obi-Wan. So do you think that this makes sense for Obi-Wan's character arc? And let's get into like some of the reasons why people felt the way they did about Luke and how they could feel about Obi-Wan and is was there a were there storytelling components to those two characters that set them up better? What do you think? The uh, you you're absolutely right about it feeling very reminiscent of um, other things that we've seen in Star Wars before. When uh, Obi Wan is clocking out the first time we, we see him, <laughs> which BTW um, space sand manta rays are really really cool to me. Yeah. Um, they show up for a hot second in a movie called Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust. And I'm just like, this is a, this is a nothing scene, but that's really cool. <laughs> so I appreciate seeing sand manta rays and something else as well. Um, but the, uh, yeah, uh, but when, when he's clocking out for the first time, um, my roommate leaned over to me and she's just like, one quarter portion. <laughs> yeah, like, perfect. That's exactly what's happening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um so uh, definitely, I think, and I think it's meant to feel reminiscent, which how kind of sad is that for, um, you know, the, cause the, what Ray, that's what, 40 years in the future, maybe a little bit longer. And 
things sort of are the same <laughs> depending <laughs> on obviously that's a different planet but like depending on where you're at in the galaxy things are still really rough and it's just like ah, <laughs> oh, the more things change the more they stay the same yeah exactly um, exactly but uh but yeah it, it does feel very reminiscent of um those other things that we've seen in star wars before and not to quote george lucas but you know it it rhymes there's some symmetry there um there's symmetry in storytelling and there's definitely a theme in star wars about history repeating itself to an extent or at least as far as the the main storyline goes um but yeah i for me it works in all three instances like Mm -hmm. i I'm not one of those people that complains about um, where Luke's headspace is at in The Last Jedi. Um, I think for a lot of people, it worked fine for Rey because, um, you know, she, it, it was the start of her hero's journey. Yeah. Um, and in the, in the same way that like Luke started off his hero's journey on Tatooine and everything like that. Exactly. Um, the thing about, Luke during The Last Jedi, and I guess Obi-Wan here, is that um, it is the, technically speaking, the start of a hero's journey for for Obi-Wan, but they are at a different stage in life. They're not, they're, they're not young. They, like, it is the start of a hero's journey, but they are at a different phase in life that causes the reluctance to start the journey. For a lot of traditional hero story, it's this person is young, they've never experienced the outside world, and so everything is new and scary to them in that regard, and they've never been away from home. So to have a hero's journey where that's not the case, like this character has already had a numbers of adventures under their belt, I think a lot of people are like, well, why are you hesitating? Why, <laughs> like, you know, that sort of thing where it's like, no, that's just that's just where they're at <laughs> with their life experience. It's still the start of a hero's journey. It's just for an atypical protagonist. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that 100%. I think one of the reasons it's easier to take with Obi-Wan, and I hear fewer people... I've heard people bring it up as like, oh, this is not the Obi-Wan that I remember. Although I do think that there's a scene in in episode two where he feels a lot like Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars. Um, but I think what the difference between the two is the last time we saw Luke, which by the way, I didn't have a I didn't have a problem with Luke's portrayal in The Last Jedi or um Rise of Skywalker, what little he shows up there, but but I do think that what it's it's um, the last time we see Obi-Wan in Revenge of the Sith, he has now realized that everything around him is crumbling. So then it's not super surprising to see him as a person who's doubting himself and as a person who's because we, we literally saw it all fall down around him, come crumbling down around him. We also know that he's going to end up because we've all seen a new hope. So we know he's going to end up back on Tatooine not having done Jedi stuff in a while, right? Like, um, in fact, one thing I'm not sure where the series is going to go, but like in A New Hope, um, Vader literally says like, Obi-Wan Kenobi, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. So so we know that there's 10 years between this series and like what happens in A New Hope, but we also know that we're going to get Vader in this series. I'm not sure how they're going to, how they're going to do that. And I'm not sure if 10 years is a long time or or what, but. um, Is it like, 
seven years before a new hope because like how old is luke in a new hope is he like 16 17 yeah something like that something like okay. that yeah. i mean yeah if this is the last time like vader and obi-wan like when they inevitably meet in yeah. this show um it will have been like seven years that is a long time <laughs> yeah 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 that, and that, yeah. that could that could count as, as what they're talking about there but i do think so so i think in regards to obi-wan seeing him on screen in this sort of like hermit like like you mentioned the scene where he says no to the guy like mm -hmm. it feels like it kind of makes sense whereas i think that when we saw luke i think you can be i think you can be abrupt like the first thing is like oh we found luke and he's like who cares about lightsaber my lightsaber you know i think you can be abrupt like that however i don't think that the the fans have to when a brain is interpreting a story, it really keeps asking the question, why, 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 over and over again. And the storyteller's job is to answer the answer the whys that need to be answered, the most important whys. The brain will fill them in if you don't answer them. And so you got to do what you got to do. I think for, for people whose brains couldn't really fill in the whys of how Luke got to be where he was, um, and, and, and I think that we saw, like, we saw the one scene in, in the last Jedi where it all kind of started going downhill because Luke saw the vision of what would happen with Ben. And then he encounters Ben and, and they each have a different view of these events that probably wasn't enough backstory to get people to now Luke just hates everything Jedi and like he's out. Right. So I think that we're much better set up to deal with Obi-Wan where he's at than we were to deal with Luke where he's at. Mm -hmm. I didn't mind where Luke was, where he's at, just to be clear. But I do think that, like, if we really wanted to solve that problem... It felt abrupt, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it felt a little bit abrupt without a lot of backstory. So, um, so that, that, I, I'm on the same page with you, I think. And, and I, I totally agree with you that Ray, it's, the, it's the start of Ray's hero's journey, and so it makes sense for her to be to feel like that. I think there's... I personally, I said this when I was talking to um, to Michael Young, I said, I personally like older characters who have mm -hmm. had to go through more stuff because to me, they feel um, when you're, when you're, when you're youthful, you have a lot of energy and you feel like everything's going in the right direction, but you haven't been, you haven't taken the hits that you will eventually take as you get older. And so it's, it's, I think that those characters are sort of like, they're fun, they go on their hero's journey, they overcome, they get to the place where they need to be. But They it's come of age. Yeah, 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 exactly, they come of age. But it's fun to me to see after life has given you a few twists and turns, then what is it? Do you, are you able to keep up that enthusiasm? Can you, you still rally? To, yeah. Exactly. Can exactly. you hold on to that optimism? Exactly. So I, I actually really like this kind of character and I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of it play out because yeah. I think it, there's a little bit more interest there. The The only thing that is a little weird is that they, they did a little recap of the prequels yes. um, uh, prior to episode one, just as a quick refresher for maybe someone who hasn't watched them in 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the... Uh, uh, so they do a quick little recap, and the last bit of the recap is Yoda saying, I will teach you how to communicate with Qui-Gon. Yeah. And um, then the the next time we, when we see Obi-Wan, um, at one point, at, at no point in this first episode does he use his Jedi abilities right. at all. 
And um, at one point he calls out for Qui-Gon, but yeah. he uh, but he's met with silence and he doesn't do any of the normal Jedi things. Um, and it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, ha- like did his training with Master Yoda fail? And did he cut himself off from the force? Right. Like you, you just to your point, you start asking a lot of questions of like, we just saw Yoda promise him that he'll teach him how to communicate with Qui-Gon Jinn um, and other Jedi who have passed on, right. who are who are now one with the force. Why are we not there yet? What's happened? Like, yeah. is he, it, has he cut off communication with Master Yoda? Like, why, why, to your yep. point, why, 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 why? Exactly. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what they come up with in the show. But this next question kind of, um, it's not exactly segueing into that, but it's kind of close. Um, and this is the last question I have about this particular episode. But when it comes to Obi-Wan and what he's up to on Tatooine, there's this, this indication that he is either on mission to protect Luke or... He's living as a hermit out of fear. Which one do you think he's leaning more toward? And how does that impact why he's not using the force and how he's behaving in this in this episode? Honestly, I think it's both. Hmm. Um, I think it is a little bit of both. I think he uses it like he is there to protect Luke and to keep an eye on Luke hmm. um, and to make sure that nothing, nothing bad happens to him. But he's also using that as an excuse for inaction. Mm-hmm. Um, there is absolutely more that he could be doing. Yeah. Um, and Owen is also very, oh, Owen, and I assume Baru as well, they're very aware of their situation. They're very aware of the danger that they're in taking care of this boy. Um, so Obi-Wan could, in fact step away and it's not like he'd be abandoning Luke um entirely because Owen and Baru are taking care of him. Right. Um it's it's not like Ben is his guardian, you know, he's 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 keeping an eye on things. Um but also it's kind of clear that he hasn't needed to step in during these past 10 years. Um and so it's just it's one of those things where yes, he means it but he probably uses that a little bit more as an excuse to himself than mm-hmm. anything else, especially because as far as it, as we can tell, he isn't engaging in his Jedi training. He isn't right. communicating with Yoda or, or Qui-Gon Jinn. Like, and he keeps saying, Oh yeah, the, 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 like, I'm going to have to start training Luke at some point, but Owen clearly doesn't want that. And he's not pushing <laughs> as hard as right. he should. So it just kind of seems like he's caught in this um, holding pattern of yeah. like, I'll have to do the thing. Um, not today though. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it's essentially like, um, like, like, I mentioned earlier, it's that reluctance to leave, which is one of the first stages of the hero's journey, you know? Um, And basically Luke is his excuse. I, I, I do think he means well, and I think he, he does clearly care about Luke and wants to protect Luke, but it's, it's also his excuse for inaction. It's like, um, uh, 
Because, yeah, when when the call to adventure happens, that is the first thing he brings up. I'm like, oh, I can't. Like, I got to I got to stay here. Like, yeah, I can't go take care of that other kid who should be equally as important <laughs> to me. No, can't do that. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think you nailed it. I, I don't have I actually like literally have nothing to add because I, 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 I get classified it as the same thing. Like, yeah, this is a mission for him, but also it's a convenient excuse. It's mm -hmm. both and. Um, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Obviously, episode two takes him farther. And so we're getting back to some more older Obi-Wan type of activity. So yeah, it'll be interesting. I think I totally agree. It's like, it's. It, I think it's a good place to for him to start this series. And I think that over time, it'll be really cool to see how his character kind of transforms. Any other thoughts? About Obi-Wan Kenobi, because we're going to turn do a left turn here into um, Death of a Bounty Hunter and some of your other voice work that you've done. So any other thoughts about Obi-Wan Kenobi? Uh, just that this was a really fun ride. Uh, there might have been some clunky bits here or there, but I'm really enjoying what they've put out so far. And I'm really excited to see where it goes. Yeah. And... Um, even if it doesn't necessarily stick the landing again, like if it ends up like story wise falling short again, it's just so nice to see these actors playing these characters again. Yes. Um, so regardless of where the story goes, I'm having a good time and I just hope everybody uh, sit, who can sit back and enjoy the ride. Oh, totally agree. Totally agree. Out of curiosity, just for episode one scale of one to 10, what would you give it? Ooh, Probably an eight. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Probably an eight. Because I think basically like every show starts out at 10. And then it probably has a few things where you're like, okay, well, that's not my favorite. But I mean, eight is a really, really solid score. So I think we're on a, we're on, we're on a, we're in a good place. I'm happy. I'm really happy about that. Me too. Um, so uh, we, I talked about at the beginning of the show, I talked about um, Death of a Bounty Hunter finally coming out um, on all the audiobook services. So you can go buy Death of a Bounty Hunter. Um, anywhere uh, where you find audiobooks. And this is a full cast audiobook, which means that a lot of most audiobooks, like probably 95% of audiobooks, they have um, one narrator. And that narrator does all the voices of all the people. Uh, basically, just you listen to that one person read that book. Some people are like really advanced voice performers who do like, like hundreds of different voices. And so mm -hmm. they, they add that to it. But we chose to take a slightly different route with Death of a Bounty Hunter because we had worked on a film project before, which you can watch on my other YouTube channel, uh, How Stories Work with Jay Shear. We have uh, a Star Wars fan film, actually. So you go watch our Star Wars fan film over there. But those are very expensive to put together. Not that full cast audiobooks aren't, but when you have a podcast set up and you have microphones and you have space and studio space, actually, all this has changed during the pandemic anyways, but we we wanted we said, well, what if we do like a full cast audiobook where it's actually um, a novel, but it's recorded by a full cast, meaning that everybody plays a different role. Um, and and we have narrators. There's three different narrators in uh, Death of a Bounty Hunter, all different people. And um, that's what Death of a Bounty Hunter is. It is a steampunk Western fantasy sort of mashup. And you played a character called named Octavia Gray, who was a basically uh, a doctor who also was very interested in the occult and gathering uh, artifacts of power. So 
how was your how was your experience working on I'm assuming because full cast audiobooks aren't that ubiquitous like I said I'm assuming this is the first full cast audiobook you probably worked on mm-hmm. yeah uh the uh it I I'm a big fan of just audio dramas in general mm-hmm. like some of my favorite media to consume are audio fiction podcasts and yeah. um and I do most of my reading these days by listening to the audiobook versions of things. Um, usually while I'm exercising, while I'm out on my walks, that's how I consume a lot of my entertainment is through my ears. And so over the over the last decade or so, I've become very, very fond of the different approaches to telling a story in that way. And so I remember like the the first couple times I heard full cast recordings of an audiobook. I was like, yeah. <laughs> whoa, this is so cool. Like, oh, there's more than one voice. Um, <laughs> and it's it can definitely be challenging if you're listening to an audiobook where there are a lot of characters. And even if the voice actor is really talented, um, they only have so many voices at their disposal. Like yeah. um, it, I will admit it is very challenging listening to the Game of Thrones audiobooks uh, for example because yeah. there are a lot of characters in game yes. of thrones yes um but so when you guys uh said that you were looking for auditions for a full uh you know a full cast audiobook i was like uh <laughs> that sounds awesome i'm like i'm absolutely going to audition and um so it was it was super cool not only getting to audition for a full cast audio um, audiobook because I had never done that before. I I'd done voice acting before, but it was always for um, either as the you know either as the narrator or it would be for short form podcast form uh, and yeah. short form podcast consumption. This was the the first time I had gotten to be a part of an audiobook, and not only that, but all of the other voice acting that I had done was okay, you sit down, you record in your apartment by yeah. yourself, zero direction. Um, you do several different takes and kind of hope it's what the, the director wants. And then you you send it back. I did do a machinima series where I, I got some live direction, but even that was done remotely. Like I couldn't see the director. I was just listening to him. Right. Um, and so this was the first time I actually got to record um my lines with other actors in the room not only other actors in the room but also the director and i was just like i <laughs> i feel like i won a contest or something. <laughs> i feel like i won a contest and i'm a fan who's been given a cameo <laughs> so cool yeah you did a great job and it was it was fun because um there's a couple things that you brought up that made me think of it um the first was that the difference between a full cast audio book because a lot of people will say like you keep calling it a full cast audio book but what's the difference between that and an audio drama and and i think that um it's it's interesting to note the differences between the two because we thought about doing an audio drama um but as a writer it is not my preferred style of writing Mm -hmm. and and what i mean by that is um, I tend to be a lot more of a, my experience in writing is both on the screenwriting side and the novel side. 
I tend to be a much more visual orientation type of writer. But when you write specifically for an audio drama, you have to write in a way that actually is almost the antithesis of how a visual writer will write. Because you actually have to say, I'm going, there needs to be more uh, scenes with exposition because people don't know what this room looks like. So you have to kind of have the character sort of describe the room and, and have them interact with it and have a sound effect. Thrown, and there's, you know? there's some challenge with that too, because um, the like really well done audio dramas have to do that heavy lifting in terms of like vocal exposition and painting that mental picture for the the audience while also simultaneously still ha having to make the dialogue sound natural and exactly. um there are a lot of audio dramas that are just like and i'm picking up this wrench and i'm going to <laughs> you know right. um I highly recommend if for horror fans out there, I highly recommend uh, the Magnus Archives podcast oh. because that that is definitely one of those ones where it is an audio fiction podcast that is written um, with its audio drama format in mind in terms of mm. walking that line between natural sounding dialogue and exposition yes. dumping so that you get the full picture of what's actually happening yeah. whereas audiobooks to your point um it's just and you it's written as a book first yes and it's adapted from that book um, exactly whereas audio dramas are written to be consumed um as audio dramas if that makes exactly. any sense no no yeah no that's, that's a really good way of putting it and and what's interesting about that too is that um I don't. I, I can't say this, this is the first time in history that it's been done, but it's definitely one of the first. And that is that when we set out to write it, um, it's definitely novel-esque. It's based off a screenplay I wrote 10 years ago. It, but it's, when we converted it to, we said, we're actually writing it. We're going to publish it as a novel, but we're actually writing it to be an audio, a full cast audio book first. Which I'm not sure that anyone else has done that because most, like you just said, most are done from the standpoint of saying it's a novel. Now someone read it. So I just mm -hmm. have it read it to you. And I think the reason why we did that was because, and, and the reason why um, we set it up the way we did is that there are three narrators who are all narrating in the first person. And those three narrators interact with other people. And from a storytelling, like philosophical standpoint, the reason you choose a medium is somewhat based on what uniquenesses that medium has to it. So one of the uniquenesses of writing a novel is that you can get in the heads of the character and other mediums that try to approximate that usually can't do a very good job of it, right? Like it's very difficult to comic books and novels can get in the heads of the character and tell you what they're thinking. Um, novels more so than comic books because they don't have as much space for for large like working through a complex issue in thought bubbles um but like film usually kind of struggles when you put like a voiceover on top of it because it's kind of like oh well you could just show this to me it doesn't need to be the character doesn't need to be like emoting to me through through the screen yeah not, there's you you can you can it's very easy to get into a trap with filmmaking like exactly. because it's like you uh doing voiceover 
can be great depending on the genre and everything like that. And it really can be helpful to give you yeah. insight, but you risk doing too much tell not show. Exactly. Um, whereas if you, you know, hold back and don't do any internal monologue, it can somehow be, you know, it falls entirely on the actor to be able to emote um, and convey what they're thinking and feeling without the use of words. Exactly. Exactly right. That's very well said. And so it's interesting because what we, what we set out to do was we set out to basically say all three narrators are going to be telling their version of these events from their perspective with their emotions that they are telling you as the story unfolds. And so you're going to basically hear it as if you're sitting next to the character, listening to them explain everything to you as it's happening. And then the full cast is going to interact with them um, as we go through it. So it was a really, really fun um, project and, and great to have you involved. The other thing that you mentioned, um, the other thing that you mentioned was about the way it was recorded. And I think this is interesting too, because we actually had to, <laughs> and, and I've heard other, uh, there's, a, there's a podcast out there right now um, Will Friedel, who was on Boy Meets World, he played Eric on Boy Meets World. He played Bumblebee on some Transformers shows. He's great. Yeah. Oh, he's done a ton of voice acting because he was on Kim Possible with um, he was Ron Stoppable. Romano. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was Ron Stoppable, and lo absolutely love this. He was Terry McGinnis in Batman Beyond. Yes, which is so like different than Ron Stoppable. It's just it really shows his range as an actor. It's yeah. very impressive. Yeah. So it's in, and and they they talk about how different voice performances are set up to do with animation. So it's a similar type of thing, but it's it's animation. And he talked about he he and Christina have talked about sometimes you work alone in the studio. Maybe the director is there with you or the director is, you know, remote, but still like telling you how to do them or, and sometimes you actually work with the other actors. And so what was really interesting about this project was this project started way back in, I, I believe it started back in at least 2018, if not a little earlier. And the first recordings were done in my backyard studio on equipment that was not very good <laughs> and it was okay it was okay it wasn't terrible but um and we and you got to do it around the table with people so you got to interact with them and that was mm -hmm. an awesome experience um and i wish we could have recorded more of that but we had to then go back in and because we were unable to capture everything up front there was a delay in our whole process then when we brought everybody back in, it was mostly just to do one-on-ones. You and I were still in the studio together. I think Nathan was actually on the on the phone or something with us listening. Um, and that was a very different thing because, yes, we were in the studio together, but you weren't getting to act off of the other character. Now, we lucked out because you, because you had had the other experience of acting around the table, you sort of knew you could, I, I don't know, you tell me, but I'm imagining you can picture in your <laughs> head, like Timothy's sitting across the table with me reading his Deckard and this is the way he sounds. And this is the way, you know? Um, and so it was different. It was a different experience, but I really wish I'm going to set up at one time. I promise I'm going to set up a, <laughs> uh, a, a release party. And I'll try to get as many people as can come because a lot, some actors, some of the actors in the book haven't even met one another. <laughs> um, yeah. Cisa, Cisa Gray, who narrated for us. And when I say narrated, 
there's three narrators, but then there's somebody who reads the chapter headings and who reads like just the interstitials that we have in there, the part one, part two, the, those kind of things. Um, she did the title page and stuff like that. She, she's been on, um, she has been on a bunch of shows, legends of tomorrow. She's one of the characters on legends of tomorrow. Um, and so she came in and read for us like, but like, so Sisa hasn't met any of the rest of you guys. Like, you know, like, so, so I hope that at some point in time I can get like a, virtual we'll do like a stream yard or a zoom thing where we can uh maybe do a scene like have, have a scene recorded and that would be our launch party for the book because it was the entire cast was amazing to work with super talented no attitude problems there were two people who one of whom i reached out to and decided not to work with because she was a giant problem. I won't say who she is, but she was a giant problem. And she had a name. She has a name. So it's like, then another, another, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> then another person who is a, is a very talented um, impressionist. I won't say the name on this person either, but the way that those two people acted from a business standpoint and just from an interpersonal standpoint, let's just put it this way. We won't be working with them. <laughs> I only want to work with cool people. That's all. I only want to work with cool people. That's sometimes, all. Some, I mean, there's nothing wrong with and sometimes personalities just clash and sometimes yeah. it just doesn't work out. You know, it's it's nothing personal. It's just, you know, exactly. Different. Sometimes people's styles don't always mesh. That's all. Exactly. And in this case, I, I talked to some of my other friends who had also worked with these people and they're like, yeah, they're difficult to work with, with lots of people. <laughs> so anyways, that just is what it is. You'll encounter that if you're doing any kind of creative project. Otherwise, you get to work with really cool people like Megan. Um, so just la last question for you is, you know, is voice performing something that you want to pursue more in the future? Is it more of a hobby? Like, what is it? What does it look like for you personally? For, for me, it's definitely more of a hobby. Um, mm. Love, 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 love to do more. Um, as I as I said, I absolutely adore audio dramas and audio books um, because that's a big part of the way I consume my entertainment. Mm. Um, the uh, like uh, living in LA, um, I fell in love with audiobooks mainly because I had such a long commute um, <laughs> to to my job for the better part of a decade, and I'm. I'm happy that at the moment I don't have a huge commute because I'm working remotely and I live a lot closer to work now um, when I when I do have to go to the into the office. Um, but I I like it's still a big part of my entertainment consumption because I do a lot of exercising. And so that's how um, that's how I do a lot of just that's how I enjoy myself <laughs> while I'm doing very unpleasant tasks <laughs> um, because exercising is not fun. Um, but the, um, I'm also a big fan of animation and so like, uh, good voice performances are something that I wholeheartedly respect and voice actors, um, don't get enough recognition for the hard work that they do and for the talent that they have. Um, and so I have a lot of admiration for, for many different voice actors. Um, I fully acknowledge that I am not a great actress. I, I feel like I have a, a decent voice, but I'm not a great actress. So it's it's definitely something I just do more as a hobby. I would have to sit down and like really dedicate um, a lot more time and energy into the craft of acting and really honing that skill um, if I wanted to pursue it more professionally. Um, but what I've done, I've definitely enjoyed and I definitely want to do more. Um, 
it's just hard to find the time with a day job and other side projects and everything going on. But it's it's definitely something I enjoy and it's definitely something I admire um, in a lot of other people. And um, yeah, nothing but respect for the people who do it and do it well. Yeah, well, I think you do it and do it well, and I think people should, if they yeah. have a voice project, they should hire Megan. Um, and, and, and you had to work. You had to work with me, who as a, as I've been a writer for decades at this point, um, probably at least three decades. But I've never directed a project before, so this is the first time I had ever directed a project. And I remember, I remember sitting in the studio with you, and and what was fun was, um, and this was true of most of the actors too, is that we got to try different takes too. It's like, Oh, well, why don't you try it with this take? Well, why don't you try it with that take? And you're thinking in your, in the back of your head, like, well, how is, how is Timothy who plays Deckard, Timothy Prindle? How is he saying this line? Who's, who's mainly who you interact with? Mm -hmm. like, how is, how is he saying this line? Oh yeah. He was saying it this way. So what if we try it this way? Okay, cool. That's cool. Um, yeah. So it was fun like, to. That, his performance was very angry. Oh, and it's just he's... like, how would this character Octavia react to somebody being that, that, you know, being yeah. that difficult and being yes. that, um, because her, her, her big thing is she's, I she's playing chess in her yes. life. She's like yes. I I am using Deckard as the piece <laughs> on the board. That's right. Um, that's right. He he is just a pawn in my machinations. Yes. And to, to have a pawn be so uppity with her definitely <laughs> like gets under her skin. But she has to keep herself composed. Yep. Um, and she can't like lower herself to his base level and everything exactly. like that. Exactly. In and fact. So, <laughs> Sorry, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. Oh, um, yeah. It's just basically she's she's very arrogant and very full of herself, but in a very different way that that then Deckard is arrogant because yeah. his his arrogance comes from his sheer power, whereas her arrogance comes from her intellect. Yeah. And um, and I think both of them overestimate uh, their abilities in that regard, and it yes. it makes them overconfident. Um, but yeah, he could absolutely destroy her in this, those moments <laughs> if, if he wanted to, but she's like, yeah, I'm untouchable, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and one of the things we kept doing to your point, um, was we kept thinking to ourselves, how does someone like this showcase their power for someone who is, whose emotion keeps ramping up. And so we actually kept removing emotion from your character. Like, it's almost like she's not going to go there with him because that would indicate that he's getting under her skin. Mm -hmm. And so, so it was interesting. It was interesting to play with those, um, play with those, those things, but it was really fun to work with you guys. So what, where can people find you and some of the other stuff that you've done and where can they follow you and all that good stuff? Uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Manguin. That's T H E M E N G U I N. I have a YouTube channel called silver screams where me and my co-host Katie Cullen, uh, we talk about horror related things and I am a member of Rooster Team Radio, where me and my co-hosts talk about Rooster Teeth-related projects, uh, mostly Ruby, if we're being honest. And you can hear um, some of our fun audio drama, where I play a character named Petra Konohito. Um, and that's uh, our Welcome to Vale series. Highly, highly recommend that if you were ever thinking about what would happen if uh, Ruby and Night Vale um, had a crossover series. Well, Welcome to Vale answers that question. Um, and I also do a podcast called No Love Lost, where me and my co-host Will Link talk about lust. 
Lost. He loves Lost and I don't. And we discuss. <laughs> Perfect. So go check out all of Megan's stuff. All, all fantastic stuff. Now, we have been talking a lot about voice performance. So if that sounds interesting to you and you're a fan of steampunk fantasy western mashups, please pick up a copy of our full cast audiobook, Death of a Bounty Hunter. Um, it's about a desperate sheriff who will do anything to save his daughter and a bounty hunter who realizes he can no longer run from the truth. Megan Salinas plays Octavia Gray, a shrewd doctor who dabbles in occult artifacts. And I feel, Megan, like that character would be like a perfect Indiana Jones villain. So <laughs> kind of like it's kind of close to my heart as an Indiana Jones fan. <laughs> oh, no. I hope her face doesn't melt off <laughs> in a future installment. Oh, no. Yeah, you never, you never know. You never know. Totally happened. <laughs> She'd totally be like, yeah, happen. I'm going to open the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> it's my right. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, she would. I she would 100% open it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, that is it for today's show. Special thanks, Megan, to Megan for joining us today. Um, new shows will come out every Wednesday on YouTube and on your preferred podcast channel. And bonus shows come out throughout the week as well. If you have a topic or a question that you'd like for me to discuss, please leave me a comment or shoot me an email at hi at reclamationsociety.org. I'd love to include your questions in a future show. I'll also be recording shorter shows throughout the week. As I mentioned, I do a lot of different shows. I'll post them on YouTube. They'll get thrown out to the podcast feed as well. So just make sure you're subscribed to get all of the latest content. You can subscribe to The Story Geek Show on our YouTube channel or on your preferred podcast provider. Thanks for watching. I will see you on the next show, which will be about episode two of Kenobi. The fellows from Orange Grove 55 will be joining me on that one. So don't miss out. Thanks again, Megan. It was a pleasure talking to you again. Thanks so much for having me. It's it's an absolute joy anytime I get to talk about Star Wars with you. So thanks again. Absolutely. We'll have you back on. Well, maybe we'll do a big retrospective at the end of it or something like that. And Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. <laughs> Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man, my favorite Spider-Man yet was the latest one. Because oh, I thought No, no Way Home was awesome. Yes. I, the uh, it's one of those things where I I had a lot of feelings going into it, and it it was definitely a treat. I don't think it's a perfect film. I don't think it's a perfect Spider-Man film, but it is a Spider-Man film that um, I walked out of the theater and I I turned to my friend and I was just like, I am happy that I am alive, that I like that I am alive because I got to see this movie. Um, Cause it's just one of those things where I never thought anything like this would ever exist. And I'm so happy that it does. And it's such so. a great, uh, a great emotional roller coaster. Yeah. And it, with, with meaningful, anyway, we, we there's a whole other <laughs> Spider-Man podcast that we could do that we will we do could. at a later date. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it at another time. Um, I'm happy to, to come back soon to fight with you about Spider-Man 2. Um, yeah, we haven't had a nerd fight in a while. Maybe the next thing we'll do is have a nerd fight about something. <laughs> <laughs> it won't even be a nerd fight. I will just come to your house and punch you. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Probably, well deserved. Probably well deserved. Probably well deserved. No, no. All right. It'll be a good time. <laughs> yeah, it will be a fantastic time. And I'll let you get back to your week ahead. We're actually recording this on a holiday, so I'll let you get back to your regularly scheduled fun. <laughs> um, thanks for being on the show with me, Megan. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Bye.